how you end up with the things that you measure and the, the structures that support it need to be fashioned from the team themselves because they know the job better than anybody else. Welcome to the Veterinary Business Success Show with me, Dr. Dave Nichol. In each episode, we'll be exploring ideas and subjects that can be used to manage your veterinary practice better. On today's episode, I'm joined by serial entrepreneur and data rock star, Mel Stevenson. Mel is the MD at Interworks Europe, a business helping customers find actionable insight in the mountains of data they generate each day, helping them make better decisions and run more effective companies. His impressive client list includes complex healthcare providers like the NHS, but he also works with smaller niche businesses because the reality is every business has data, and that data, when used correctly, can be a source of great competitive advantage. In the world of veterinary medicine, where people are regularly overwhelmed by the seemingly impossible task of managing the never-ending caseload, do the fields of data science and business intelligence have something to offer? And if they do, where on earth should a small practice even begin? Data is all around us. We're literally drowning in data. You know, so much so that it's sometimes tempting just to, you know, what do you look at? What do you listen to? How do you separate the noise from the signal? And what is the signal anyway? What are the signals you should be looking for? So these are some big questions. And in medicine, we are generating an incredible amount of data every minute, whether it's the notes we're putting into our practice management systems, the clients when they're registering, the interactions on social media, uh, the analytics that people are leaving as their digital footprint as they're walking through our our marketing systems, the laboratory tests, the images. This is a tremendous amount of information. And as a profession, we don't do an awful lot with that information. And I think there's an awful lot we could do with that information. So The question we're going to riff on today is really, how do we take all this data and how do we move it to becoming something more insightful, something we can take action with? So, Mel, you're a bit of a data data rock star to to use a a previous uh, name from your company. So, Mel, you've steeped yourself in this data through numerous Mm. industries, numerous companies, different models, aims, objectives, things like that. I think the first thing is, why did you get so into data science in the first instance? Yeah, like most things, the early foray was not data science at all. It was really to do with, I had a a good but struggling company, my first company, and we're desperately trying to get things right. Can you define good but struggling? Well, so we were growing as a company. We had signed really good contracts with you know national companies. This was a company that we took the scratches out of DVDs and games discs. So people like HMV and Game, you know, had one of our machines in every store. Um, Love Film, Blockbuster uh, Video, Blockbuster. They they all had one of our machines. So we had really good machines. We had a really interesting, simplified process to repairing these these DVDs, keeping them playable. They're optically identical to a brand new production disc, really simple to use, but we weren't making any money. You know, the more successful we were at selling, the larger the number of the machines out there, the more we were struggling to, to keep up. And, you know, we'd hit the, the end of the year not you know, having worked really hard and had a great time, but not really making any money. So um, the first draw in was 
how do we sort this out, but without adding even more to people's already busy workday? And that's what drew me initially into analytics was providing a feedback loop to people. So, you know, one of our closest best friends, Nancy Schlesinger, you know, I heard her on a podcast once and then probably spent, I don't know, three months listening to that same podcast over and over again, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, soaking up every thing. word, hoping that there'd be a new nugget in there I hadn't heard on the, uh, the previous hundred listens. But it was all about feedback. How could I get people proper, nuanced, healthy feedback to them without generating a whole new series of meetings that people had to go into and prepare for and assemble the data for? And then awkwardly deliver the feedback. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I started down this path of creating Excel spreadsheets that didn't contain any data. They only contained questions. And then the, the Excel spreadsheet would go and fetch the data to answer the questions and present them back. And then we use those to, um, to give information back to people. So no extra work required, you know, one-time build, no maintenance, no extra meetings, and really clear feedback. And first year we did that, we actually doubled our net profits and we did the same the following year and the same the following year. So when you're starting from very, very little, it's easy to double, you know, yep. double 10 pence to 20. Yep. But, you know, it did become more material with each passing year. The team felt a lot more coherent, a lot more in charge of their own destiny. You know, they were getting, you know, unequivocal feedback. They were making their own choices. We gave them a lot of latitude saying, this is what we're buying things for. This is what you want to, you know, if you sell it for this, then you'll make no money. If you sell it for that, you might not sell it. And to find that sweet spot for each customer, you make, make the call yourself, you know, and things like machine repairs. Again, we, we um, gave them all the information they need to, to run machine repairs to a really good standard. And again, Nancy helped us with that. You know, I think there's a natural thing to think this is all about analytics and dashboards and insight, but it's not. It's about creating a thoughtful company that you fold in what you're trying to achieve, what your client is trying to solve, what your own team are trying to solve. Give them that nice, clear feedback on so they understand the context of their working day. I think with that clarity comes calmness and control. And there's a lot of companies out there trying to be genuinely a modern startup company where you're kind, you're thoughtful, you're considerate, you're caring. And feedback and structure are you know, very important qualities of that. I don't want the focus to be on analytics and dashboards because that's the the output of it. Yeah. But it's not the driver and it's not the ultimate effect either. It's just a vehicle that goes in the middle. Okay. So two follow-on questions then would be, I think feedback gets a, a bad name. Mm. And so your description of, you know, a company that's, that's running is growing. It's good in the sense it's attracting customers who want your product. But it sounds a little chaotic in the background. And that sounds quite familiar. Yeah. Let's face it. For most of us, it's you small know, business, business regardless. life, personal life. <laughs> right. They're the same, aren't they? You know, if, right. You're doing your best to keep it marshaled. But. And feedback in that sense, you know, feedback is described as the breakfast of champions. But feedback gets kind of a bad name and it's, it's labeled. And I thought this was something I, th- I was always interested in and kind of woke me up a little bit when Nancy said it's not good or bad feedback it's just feedback it's information that helps people understand how they're doing compared to the standard that you require them to meet I'm curious about two things one I would love for you just to describe one of the processes that you know you you improved via this integration of 
probably what I would describe as non-typical feedback. Mm. And also then, how did that improve not just the the quality of the work, but how was that feedback sort of delivered, available, and then absorbed by people? Because a lot of the times when we see feedback getting given in, uh, certainly in inventory practice, and I will bet my bottom dollar in any business, it's based on opinion and my opinion of, of your performance in some way. And sometimes that then becomes my opinion of you and it becomes much more personal and therefore it feels like it's an attack. And so people don't like to give it because there's this almost, not a stigma, but this really negative sort of association by having a feedback conversation. But that's not your MO as a person. And I know from knowing the you know the, the, the people who've worked with you and, and in those companies that, that you, know, you created cultures that are actually, you know, they're pleasant places to work. Uh, so take me through your definition of feedback and then if you were able to paint a picture of how you weave, you know, what feedback actually looks like. You've mentioned the spreadsheets and you lost me immediately saying, there's just a question that query something. I was like, okay, tell me more. I need to, yeah. like, what does that mean? Take us through sort of in the, the naughty guide for, you know, for people like me who, you know, they understand how things bleed and where to put a stitch, but this sort of digital edifice of technology can mystify us and, and lose us as clinical people. Yeah, so I think there are two good points there. One is if we start with just feedback itself and quite understandably why it gets a bad press because of a lot of worst case feedback is is that entirely subjective. I'm going to rock up to a meeting and the manager's going to give their own opinion of what they think of me on a scale of one to 10. And it's not based on anything. It's like, you know, how come that person gets a seven and I get a four? It's like, because they play golf. That's a challenge. And so getting to things which are more objective provides, you know, that, that healthier structured framework that people know that they're operating within and they know the rules. I think that's, that's generally healthy. But there's always be some subjectivity within feedback. And that's where I think it's important that, you know, you have those manager skills because delivering feedback, assessing feedback uh, and doing that in a productive and constructive way, that really matters. Over on, you know, if you like the part of the world where we are collecting data on what people do in their natural day, they're generating that data anyway. In your introduction, you talked about just how much data is being produced and we're not it's like we're doing our job. The task itself generates the data. So we're moving beyond needing to do the job and then go and generate some data for it to track it. You know, this, this is the nice thing about current systems. Just focus on doing your job. And, you know, again, a well-designed feedback loop reduces time spent on understanding what you're doing and increases time on task. You know, so in the case of a vet practice, I'd hope that that would mean you're successful at this Actually, there's more time, more quality time, a longer time you can spend, you know, on the consultation itself. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's a win. So you asked for a, an example of, of how it would work in, in our world. Again, this is nothing like a, a vet practice, but hopefully there's some themes in there. We would, one of the things we were looking at was these, all these machines coming in for repair. And I said, we promise our customers we get these back within three business days. Right. I'd looked at the data. And normally the team did it with, within two business days and said, so I'd like to introduce a bonus where provided we stay within this service agreement that we were promising customers and add a bonus on you know, each month because we can see when they're coming in and going out. 
And if we stay within that, we're honoring our promise to the customers. This is awesome. So it's something we've already done, something they're already doing, and uh, they're all happy apart from one guy. And he's saying, I'm not happy about this. And we're going, how are you not, you know, genuinely, tell me. He said, well, I'm about quality. This is all about, I'm all about quality and you're putting something in here which is about speed and the touring conflict. And they're kicking him under the table going, what the hell are you doing? And he said, no, 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 guys, you know, I don't think this is right. How can I deliver on my thing of quality when we're being bonus on something else? And I was going, fair enough. Pretty fair point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's a really good thought. And so I've always liked this because one, the guy had the wherewithal to stand up and, you know, not, not just to me, but to his own peers and say, I think this is wrong. And he showed off his values there as well, didn't he? A hundred percent. And and you think those are good values to, for us as a company to be standing behind as well. So I think that's one of the first things to come away from this is that, you know, how you end up with the things that you measure and the, the structures that support it need to be fashioned from the team themselves because they know the job better than anybody else. For as long as you're going, this metric is good, but it's really crude and it kind of misses the point and misses out of these situations. Yep. There's no nuance in it. The more you can work on getting that nuance back into it, you, you end up with a, a, a much better thought through metric. Then you can work out how you collect that automatically and feed it back to people. And now people have got something with you go, that genuinely reflects me, my job and what I'm delivering to my, you know, my clients. So the scratchy head thing for me was, well, how on earth do I measure the quality of what's, how do you measure how well a machine has been repaired? <laughs> do we take every 10th machine apart? What's adding work in? Yep. Do we call people up and give them a scale out of 10? How happy are you with that machine? That's, yep. you know, back to real subjectivity again. And then we realized, actually, the data is there. If you brought a car in for repair and, you know, the carburetor was like, I know anything about cars, <laughs> but yeah, let's assume the carburetor is up at the front. And the guy, you know, the guy fixes the car and it's all running sweetly. And then a, a week later, the exhaust drops off the back. Even though they didn't bring it in for the exhaust, they're going, well, you had up on the rack, you know, it was there anyway. Why did you not check it over and at least tell me that thing was about to fall off? Yeah. And I have lost another day from work. We kind of had the equivalent with the machines where it goes out and how long is it before it needs to come back in again? And we could measure that without changing anything. We've already, we already know. Yeah. You know, every time they send it in, we're, we're tracking that machine. So we just started measuring how long it would come back. And we said, we'll have a new, a second additional one. But the longer it takes to come back, you know, if we don't get a certain percent within 90 days, then we'll assume they're well repaired. So they're going, brilliant. Well, let's repair the 20 pence gaskets while we're there. Let's you know, take the machine apart, put all the, the ones that wear away quite quickly and replace them at the same time. We bought a thousand packs from the, you know, the manufacturer of all the little cheap parts. They loved it. They gave us them half price. Suddenly every machine came in. We would just by default replace all these things. We'd send them out. The machines would last obviously loads, loads longer. We'd fix what they sent in for and free of charge, put in all the other bits. Quality shot up. The amount of time they're spending repairing machines starts dropping because the machines are staying out longer. Consumables are going up because they're always in action. Everybody's a winner. And it wouldn't have happened were it not for that guy going, I am not about this. I'm about that. I think lots of teams have exactly that where they go, you're trying to make me do this. It's a crude measure. It's not the nuanced one. 
it needs to fold this in. And when you embrace that, roll with it, put the thought in, you end up with that kinder, more thoughtful, more nuanced company. Today's show is brought to you by Vetex International. Now, are people the major pain point in your practice? If so, you're not alone. Over 90% of managers report staff problems to be their number one issue. At the root of this problem are usually three dysfunctions. A poorly articulated vision, toxic culture, or some form of leadership breakdown. If this sounds familiar, then do not despair. Help is at hand. I encourage you to check out Leaders, a veterinary-specific leadership training program where you will learn how to create and execute on a shared vision, how to hire well, and build a powerful, high-performance practice culture without all the drama. The class is accredited, delivered online, and open for applications now. To learn more, listen to a free training webinar, or apply, visit vetexinternational.com forward slash leaders. Okay, welcome back to the show. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's get into some more meaty content to help you grow your practice in part two. Well, that's really interesting because you initially thought, oh boy, that's actually a real challenge to try and measure Mm. that. But actually, what you you effectively did was instead of looking at the writing on the page, you looked at the the white between the letters, which was a remarkably simple... It is. It was just a nuance. It was just a, a slight focus shift that yeah. you didn't need the detail in the middle. Like yeah. you could dig into that if you wanted, but effectively you had your number. I'm drawn to think, and I, I, I know what I think I would encourage people to think about, you know, our quality measures in, in veterinary medicine. And what I would really, where I'd really like to steer this conversation a little bit is to, what would a, a dashboard like? So let's introduce a term there that people mm. may or may not be familiar with. Let's talk about what a dashboard is, how one could start to build one up very in a very simple form, and what sorts of measures you might like to initially start to look at. And I appreciate there's a lot of nuance in there. Yeah. But you know, if we make some assumptions generally about a business, and you know, we've had enough conversations over enough bottles of wine that you probably picked up a thing or two about veterinary practices over the years. So let, let's kick off, start off with, you know, let, let's talk about what is a dashboard and then how do we start to create a very basic one that, that then can start to improve our performance as leaders and as a business? Yeah, there's a million definitions of what a dashboard is and I'm not going to pretend that the definition I'll give on the hoof here is is going to be a perfect one. But for me, it's it's about a relevant group of key metrics presented in a way that ideally, if I held it in front of you, showed it to you for like two seconds and put it back down again, you'd go, and exactly the things that relate to me, I'm fully informed. That's a well-designed dashboard. I I really can, you know, I think think that's one of the things we as a company are quite good at is we go, right, one second at most, maybe two, up, down, right, tell me, did everything look on track, fine, anything alarming, you know, it'll pop. And, and that's obviously completely different for individuals within the company and between companies. You know, what matters to that that individual over here and that team is not the same as what matters to, you know, the person running it or the person in pharmacy. So it's about that relevance as well as 
how crisply it presents it. I think there are some parallels between the current company I have, which is a consulting company Mm -hmm. focusing just on analytics and that of a vet practice, which is there's, as a business, the only way for that business to keep running is to, unless you've got a big pot of cash, it needs to generate profits. Um, So ensuring that you have a sensible profitability, you have a team of, in our case, consultants, in your case, veterinarians. And again, for that profitability, there needs to be a certain level of of billable utilization in our case, billable hours in, in, in yours. And so making sure that, you know, as they're booking their appointments and doing their consultations, you know, how much time is spent on consultations? What does it generate? Do they have time for professional development? And what's that that percentage of time spent on professional development? If it's all billable, you're going to get burnout and, and disillusioned people. If it's all CPD, they're going to get, you know, no actual genuine practice and it's all, all theory. So giving people the feedback on, you know, how are we doing as, you know, the profitability of the practice, the revenue streams that drive it, getting that sweet spot between billable work and professional, ongoing professional development. You know, these are things which, you know, at a high level, I'd say as a, as a vet practice, you'd be want to look at, but then you go right down at team level and at individual level. What are the metrics that really matter to you that will, you know, will flow up right. to that top level one? And on the back end of that, probably, therefore, there needs to be very clearly identified objectives for every role, which I know that most practices don't have them. They've got job descriptions, yeah, but they don't actually have well-written objectives. Now, I've heard two ways of, of coming at this. And first way was Nancy's way that, that I think she enthralled both of us with and we you know, built into our businesses. But more recently, you know, which is basically defining every job when you can you know, effectively break every job down into perhaps sub-silos of, you know, what are my financial, operational, cultural, marketing, customer sort of responsibilities, and then just really define that in a within the sort of smart, specific, measurable, yeah. all that. Um, framework. And I found that useful to an extent, but more recently I then come across a process called Big Three, where, and I think companies like Apple sort of used this, certainly Jim Collins kind of traits. So, and I found this perhaps a little bit more of a flexible way to manage sort of the the nature of business, which is ever evolving, ever changing. And that's perhaps what maybe was intended but I had failed to pick up from the you know the the original objectives writing exercise which still I use and still is great value as almost the autonomic functions of a job mm-hmm. but there's always going to be project work or things like covid happens and suddenly yeah. there's a whole different thing of change and innovation that isn't actually isn't covered very well by the more set objectives and so using this concept of, of big three where you effectively you have a a business objective and then you you set that as a timeline over one two three four five years break it down and and so tomorrow i'll have a quarterly you know strategic review and planning session for the coming quarter we'll identify you know things we've done well things that we've learned and we'll do a bit of a SWOT analysis and where we're at sort of top level stuff to then identify what our priorities are for this coming quarter and those will then flow into our big three which really are more real-time objectives for us to work on i think the question there is you know objectives let's discuss that a little bit more because 
that's where we've inevitably gone. Like if you're going to measure something, you've got to define your parameters that you're actually measuring. What, what does good look like? But talk to me about some of the, I'm really curious about other people's viewpoint on objectives. And so talk to me about how you see objectives, how you use them in, in your business. And I know that sort of then flows back into the, the feedback conversation, but I'm keen to hear your sort of take on objectives generally. So I, I think it is, it comes back to this thing of people operating within a known structure. And if you think of the word company like Robin Hood's company of merry men, then that's that notion of a company where you know, you've got a team of people with a, a known purpose and known responsibilities. You know, it's more productive as a result. So I think objectives definitely help with that. So we know why we're doing it. We know what we're doing. We know how we're doing it. Not communicating that out is, if not a recipe for disaster, is certainly a recipe for disorder and discontent. Right. Um, Chaos and burnout when you're just showing up to the grind without really knowing why you're just endlessly grinding. Yeah, exactly. And you know, you've know, got lots of individuals executing really well, really you know, believing themselves to be doing a good job, but you know, they're in, in conflict with other people who are doing the same thing, you know, have their same motivations, but uh, you know, there's no there's little coherence between them, so you end up with friction. So objectives you know, keep that you know nice, some linearity reduces turbulence between the team, increases harmony, uh, and so whether you set out almost a prescriptive set of objectives at the start, which is really tough. Yeah, you know, it is really tough to sit down and and be super clear about them. But you know, if you're prepared to go through the exercise, then you do have real good clarity. Yes. Or, you know, I, I think it's genuinely equally valid to say these are our high level objectives, and then now, without it becoming a big, onerous, clunky, periodic exercise, have it something which is small, incremental, organic, where you're always checking with people. For me, that's one of the the beauties of using analytics as a feedback loop is that you're always going back. People are always looking at, you know, the information that's coming through and going, well, that's, that's kind of what we're doing, but we're doing like this one, you're finding out more specifically what they're doing, the challenges they're facing and, you know, more meaningful way, productive way of measuring it and having that flow up to, you know, the high level. But also means that as the whole external environment changes, which it always does, the, the nature of the job, the objectives, the way it's measured, that they're all bound together. Those are all incrementally changing over time. And so you don't have these, you know, I think like a big railway carriages in a, in a shunting yard, like smashing into on each other, you know, dung, dung, dung. That's, you know, sometimes, you know, objective setting and quarterly reviews feel a bit like that, where there's this kind of almost impulse changes. Uh, I don't mean impulsive, but, you know, just the notion of, energy from a decision being shot through to the rest of the company yep. overnight and everybody's going well where did this one come from you don't like those you know sudden jinx and teams will often turn. resist those if they've not got real energy behind them yeah they'll just dissipate out and stuff doesn't happen yeah if there's a consensus thing where everybody going hey look we are all doing the wrong thing here can we all agree let's let's do it that feels very different but if it's externally pushed in that can feel really tough whereas you know, if you're always working on how we think about things, yeah, how we measure them, how we, you know, what we do, and therefore how we measure them, there's that nice ongoing change improvement. Pulling that back to then the, the dashboard, so 
clarity of what everybody's trying to do comes from having some form of objectives, whether prescriptively written or notionally connected to a bigger picture and frequent conversations, but also interspersed with this data we're collecting. So when we're collecting data, is there a rule of what categories of data can we actually start to collect? For me, is one of the challenges I found when thinking about this was, well, okay, what, what data is actually going to influence and drive behavior and what matters? That clearly changes from role to role, business to business. But are there rules of thumb around, you know, you should measure production or quality or behavioral? And where are good places to go to get this information? You mentioned spreadsheets before, but, mm. you know, so we've probably got practice management software. We've got accounting software. We've got maybe analytics software. And then there's other things that we can create more manually and pull things in. I'm thinking, you know, operation start times. How many consultations do we see in a day? What are the outcomes of those consultations? How many procedures do we generate from those? For me, how many vaccines we see in a month? How many dental, surgical procedures, blood tests, ultrasounds, x-rays we generate? They're really important numbers from an operational point of view that, that I'd, I'd want to see. But where do you begin to build out a dashboard? And how, how can you do that relatively easily? Like, is it a case of find one thing, measure it, and see how see what happens there? Yeah, so the spreadsheet I mentioned earlier, that was my way of visualizing data. So in the world you're describing, I would pull up Excel. I would point that at your practice software or anything else. If you're booking appointments into Outlook, then find a way to pull that information from Outlook. And now you, you, you know exactly how long things are lasting, yeah. who they're booked with. All that data suddenly becomes immediately available to you. And yeah. there's, there's no extra work. They're doing it anyway. If you have uh, you know, practice management software, it'll run on SQL Server. It'll run on some cloud-based. There'll be a, an API that allows you to connect directly to that. And then you start pulling that data in. We're a, a Tableau consultancy, um, which is it's a brilliant piece of software for connecting. But the truth is, you know, there are plenty of other ways of being able to connect to that data. And the spreadsheet I was describing earlier was me connecting to our SQL server, which has got all the data it's collecting. And then I'm just using Excel as a way of turning that into pretty charts that I can just glance at and know exactly what it is. So here's what the budget is each month, you know, tracking over time. And I've put a little spread on it. So there's a path within which I expect to run. And then the actuals for the month are now a solid black line tracking, you know, some on that same chart. And I can see, are we we performing the way we thought we would perform when we did our magic spreadsheet at the start of the year saying, this is what our amazing company is going to be like in 2007. And we know what happens to those spreadsheets by the end of uh, that same year. That would be my approach is find a way to connect to the data which doesn't you know once you start building one thing and you've established a way that doesn't require you to populate that with anything as the data updates it's going to refresh that that view that dashboard that chart you know automatically so you, you all your energy is on one time build and then subsequent crafting and polishing and refinement and, and additions yeah but you never have somebody sitting there putting the data in, copying and pasting over from one, one thing to another. That is not time well spent. That's a new job. Yeah. You're giving that person in perpetuity. And every new idea you come up with, oh, that'd be better. You go, great, you know, you've added another job in perpetuity for that, that new person. So that's the focus is making sure it's time. And what you want out of it 
is a focus on, you asked, you know, where do you go? Focus on the outcome. What's the outcome you want? Is the outcome, you know, I talked about machines that stay out longer. Obviously, it's a stretch, but, you know, you want pets to be out there healthy for a longer period of time. If that means you have periodic check-ins, but you go, if we check them every six months and actually they're much, much better quality of life, then that's, you're still saying, well, let's make sure we get those those check-ins because the outcome is, is what's driving it. If you go, this particular operation, you know, this is evidence-based medicine, you're perfect for analytics and, and collecting data and, and then making good quality decisions based on the back of that good quality data, then are you looking at the subsequent outcome for that that particular animal, from that particular procedure, and maybe that particular vet as well. You know, all these things that actually probably already in your data, what you're not doing is then pulling them in and going, by vet, how does this look? By breed, how does this look? By procedure, how does this look? I mean, I know a lot of practice managers, practice software providers are really cagey about letting people API in. Is it better, even if somebody has to manually do it? It's not ideal, but is it better to have that information in view somewhere than not? Because I just, I know people have a a pretty awful job trying to convince their software providers to let external things plug in there. Not all of them, some of them will, but... Yeah, well, if any software providers are listening, massive mistake. I know it's offensive and inflammatory, but bear with me. If I was the producer of, you know, one of these practice softwares, I'd be all over the analytics part of that. You know, you've, you're sitting on a at goldmine of, of quality data for that practice, as well as probably all practices and the opportunity to give vets insight into their practice, both in isolation as well as, you know, relative to the a cohort of similar ones. That's, I think it'd be incredibly valuable. So, whether they did it themselves or lots and lots of successful software companies deliberately now include API access as part of it because you just don't know what the community will come up with. And it's so creative and so thoughtful. And you go, that is astoundingly good. And we probably wouldn't have come up with that idea in three years and it's been built. So, you know, I'd encourage them all to do it. So that might change. (laughs) I don't know how valuable that plea is, but our first step would always be find a way to get that data automatically because we're trying to free up time on task and give people more time back, not suck it out. The idea of copying and pasting data is so anathema to me um, that I, 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 can, like I can barely railing against it. Yeah, <laughs> even though I know that you know, truthfully, even a whiteboard is is a good feedback loop for yeah. people, but I, I can't object to it because somebody has to go and do it and, and keep it up to date. Yeah. And as soon as you put one up, it's immediately for like you know, five minutes later, depending on your environment, it's out of date. Out of date. Yep. Whereas I guess my experience that is that to date, almost everything can be accessed one way or another in a way that doesn't require manual transfer of data. You can just, you can connect to it. So I'd do everything possible to, you know, and get somebody in maybe who, who will just say, yeah. let me look at this. This is our area. We'll, we'll get it so you have that connection and now you can start querying it. And um, the data is already flowing in there. So all we want to do is just present it back in a, as a chart or as a table, whatever it is. And if the spreadsheet says, show me this year's X, you know, month by month, 
that's the question I'm talking about that's in the spreadsheet. It goes off. It knows what the current year is. It knows the months. It adds them all up, puts them in, and now you've got it, you know, and you want to make a chart from that. Then you're good. That's what you should be doing. So summary steps then. Have some clarity of objectives in your business. Start point one. Yep. Think of some measurements that would allow you to accurately see how you're tracking against those over time and then create or build or engage with somebody to help you navigate the the bridge between that information and then that becoming actually it becomes insight at that point once you apply that number to that metric from which you can then take action through feedback to either improve things or build better systems or reward people but you're doing so crucially based on actual numbers, actual evidence rather than just opinion, which seems to take a lot of the heat out of giving feedback. Yeah. And I'd say start easy. Start with something that's going to be an easy win. Create an objective around it that you think is you know, perfectly reasonable. Take it to the team, you know, saying, do we agree that this is an objective? And if it's not quite right, in what way do we want to nuance that? How can we measure that in an easy way that's it's zero? You know, it's one-time effort. It's and then zero subsequent effort. And let's provide that back to you, and then ro- roll on to the next one. Yep. And so it's it's and not use the customer journey as a as a framework to build that upon. Would seem very sensible. Just work, break that down, and and look what's the measure at each point on our customer journey. Pretty soon, you'd have a have a pretty rocking dashboard of performance. Yeah, if you're always thinking about the client outcome, then. That's probably the very heart and soul of, of your practice and its objectives. So every time you think about how do we measure whether this has been successful for our, for our clients, you know, be they the animals or the owners, then you're going to be on a good path for identifying each of those metrics. All right. Thank you very much, Mel. Interesting as always. Should we <laughs> speak to you again? Good. Glad to have helped. Mel, thank you so much for being on the show. Massive pleasure. Great to get a little insight into your brain and the data nerding that goes on in there. Uh, if you'd like to learn more about data science or learn more about Mel and what his team do, then check out his website, interworks.com. And he's also on LinkedIn. It's Mel Stevenson. That's M-E-L-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N. Thank you, Mel. Appreciate your insight. Appreciate your wisdom. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. So that wraps up today's episode of the Veterinary Business Success Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, it would be most appreciated if you would leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends in veterinary medicine all about us. Until next time, from all of us here at VetX International, be safe, be well, and be happy.